Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Sabbath School from Home. We're going to have a, an interesting discussion this episode because our topic is about managing in tough times. And um, it's almost uh, too bland, too normal to even comment on, but times are indeed tough. Uh, I'm Lachlan, and um, the toughness of my times is mainly induced by uh, a deficiency in sleep and uh, an overload of my work inbox. I'm Cameron. Um, I am on multiple antibiotics at the moment for a, a throat thing, and um, I think that counts as a tough time. Mm, then I'm Luke, and as I ponder toughness, I consider the true evilness inherent in the way that banks try and make you believe that being massively in debt to them is a good thing. <laughs> well, it is indeed in that context that we're that we're sort of discussing about it. The um, the toughness of financial times and of sort of the the sorts of situations that that turn our minds towards more of the survival essentials. I know what you mean, Luke. I'm I'm fortunate at the moment to be shielded from interest rate rises by a a fixed interest rate but i did just last week take the time using an online mortgage calculator to work out uh, what my mortgage repayments would jump to if my fixed interest rate were to run out this week and it was quite alarming <laughs> to see how much that would change and of course it's definitely something that comes up fixed interest is only fixed for a certain period of time so yeah uh, um I suspect all of you listening may also have uh, toughness of times to which you could refer. And so we're, we're going to be looking at this, and I'll just read a few passages from the, the introduction in the lesson this week, because I, I thought that there was some, um, some good acknowledgement of the sorts of things we should explore. So um, it, it speaks about in tough times, there is a strong urge for individuals and families to think first of their own survival. Accordingly, much thought is given to seeking security in these uncertain times, which, of course, is understandable. And that's obviously very true, very understandable. And, and seeking security, in fact, preparing financially for tough times is part of what we have been discussing in various stages this, this episode, this season, season, not this episode yet, um, about financial stewardship, about resource stewardship, you know, not, not just splurging and spending, and, but being responsible and anticipating the potential for tough times. Um, and the lesson finishes its introduction by saying amid trying times when we need to lean on the Lord more than ever, um, there are some biblical principles that, that we should follow. So my mind went to one of my go-to passages in this vein of thought, and it's in Nehemiah. Uh, I'd like to take us to Nehemiah chapter 4. This is part of the story of the exiled Jews returning to Jerusalem and rebuilding its walls, essentially re-establishing it as a city and um, as an economic center. Um, and of course, there's all many different geopolitical reasons why some of the surrounding uh, nations were not very fond of this idea. So there's a number of chapters in Nehemiah devoted to this this dynamic of 
Nehemiah and the, the Israelites that have returned to Jerusalem trying to build the wall and some resistance, some threats, some challenges coming at them. It's perhaps not exactly equivalent to the toughness of times that, that we face, but I think if we're going to look for biblical principles, it's a really great place to go. So let's, let's open to Nehemiah 4. Um, I think we should start at verse 7. By, by this point in the story, the wall is half built. Um, so why don't we read from verse 7, maybe to the end of the chapter. Verse 7 to verse 23 of Nehemiah 4. But when Samballat and Tobiah, the Arabs, Ammonites and Ashdodites, heard that the work was going ahead and that the gaps in the wall of Jerusalem were being repaired, they were furious. They all made plans to come and fight against Jerusalem and throw us into confusion. But we prayed to our God and guarded the city day and night to protect ourselves. Then the people of Judah began to complain. The workers are getting tired and there is so much rubble to be moved. We will never be able to build the wall by ourselves. Meanwhile, our enemies were saying, before they know what's happening, we'll swoop down on them and kill them and end their work. The Jews who lived near the enemy came and told us again and again, they will come from all directions and attack us. So I placed armed guards behind the lowest parts of the wall in the exposed areas. I stationed the people to stand guard by families armed with swords, spears and bows. And I looked in a rose and said to the nobles, to the leaders, and to the rest of the people, Do not be afraid of them. Remember the Lord, great and awesome, and fight for your brethren, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your houses. And it happened when our enemies heard that it was known to us, and that God had brought their plot to nothing, that all of us returned to the wall, everyone to his work. So it was from that time on that half of my servants worked the construction, while the other half held the spears, the shields, the bows, and wore armour and the leaders were behind all the house of Judah. Those who built on the wall and those who carried burdens loaded themselves so that with one hand they worked a construction, and with the other held a weapon. Every one of the builders had his sword girded at his side as he built, and the one who sounded the trumpet was beside me. Then I said to the nobles, the rulers, and the rest of the people, The work is great and extensive, and we are separated far from one another on the wall. Wherever you hear the sound of the trumpet, rally to us there. Our God will fight for us. So we laboured in the work, and half of the men held the spears from daybreak until the stars appeared. At the same time, I also said to the people, Let each man and his servants stay at night in Jerusalem, that they may be our guard by night and a working party by day. So neither I, my brethren, my servants, nor the men of the guard who followed me took off our clothes, except that everyone took them off for washing. I figured I'd just go through to the end. Yeah. Yeah. Locke, a few things jump out at me. Um, uh, the lesson on Monday has the title, Trust God, Not Your Own Resources, which seems to introduce a, a dichotomy between trusting God and using your own resources. That doesn't carry through into the text underneath the heading. They give some interesting examples. Um, ah, I'm glad you've I'm glad you've brought this up immediately, Cam. Yeah. Continue. So they give it. They give an example, a quote from Oliver Cromwell, who before a battle said to his army, uh, "Put your trust in God, my boys, and keep your powder dry." 
<clears throat> in other words, keep your gunpowder in a service, keep your weapons serviceable, but trust in God. And this passage we've read has some very sort of nebulous threads of causation through it. Um, so when the enemies heard, when the enemies heard that God had done something, uh, where, where does it say that? Um, when our enemies heard that we were aware of their plot and that God had frustrated it. Yeah. Well, what's God done? It's, lo- it's local Jews who heard it, who passed it on to the builders, and the builders <laughs> decided to wear weapons. Yeah. Yeah, and then um, there's another blending of that as well. So after outlining all of this kind of um, defensive protocol, Nehemiah, who, who is the one speaking in first person in this passage, Nehemiah has stationed them all along the wall. Um, only half the men worked while the other half stood guard with spears and shields and bows and coats of mail. And all the builders had a sword belted to their side. Then I explained to the nobles and officials, this is what's going to happen. If you do hear the trumpet in, in verse 20, when you hear the blast of the trumpet, rush, that's all these people who are half-armed, you know, really on the alert, rush to where, wherever the trumpet is sounding, then our God will fight for us. <laughs> Again, this total blending of the causation yes. of what's happening. Well, I'm, glad you, I'm glad you described it as a blending because I think I, I, on this topic, um, um, I have done a little study on kind of um, ancient cultures um, and I think that if you put it to a, a an ancient Jew that this was a sort of blending or confusion of causality they'd think you were quite mad hmm. they wouldn't they, they, they'd say what, what sort of blending are you talking about this is just one thing there is no difference between praying and putting the sword on of course you do both together Yeah, it's the same thing um the, the the idea that um, so it's 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 the, the concept is about what what is natural and supernatural. So we could divide up with our mindset, which is a sort of post enlightenment, post industrial revolution mindset, very mechanical. Um, we define what is natural and what is supernatural, right? So we could say all of the natural things in this story are getting intelligence from the local surrounding communities, being made aware of the plot, having half your people watch while the other half worked, keeping your weapons ready, having a system of uh, an alarm system with trumpets and and plans to defend, right? We say, this is all natural. This is all the actions of man. And then the supernatural stuff is the bit God does. He, He gives them confidence or he makes the other people afraid or all the rest of it. That, that to, I I submit to the person who wrote this story, is a completely artificial distinction. They don't consider Mm. the actions of God to be supernatural. Everything is natural. Well, there's, there is a sense too, in which the only reason they are willing to stick by this building project is because they believe it is God's will. Yes, that he is that he is that, on their that side. He is protecting them. <clears throat> in that sense, all the natural things they do to stand up to these bullies do stem directly from their statement that they are they are a direct. Um, I was going to say engagement with. Um, uh, that's not the word I want, but it is a response to God's what we might say supernatural outside the, the natural order. 
the city's not going to build itself, but God wants it done. So then mm. we will then we'll do it. Uh, so of course, you know, swords and spears—that's all going to be part of it, just like trowels and because um, God, God's not going to make the bricks magically come together. Well, see, but here's the thing: that this is why I think this topic is so very important, is because there is an idea today that these things are separate, and you must do one without the other, right? So that that there are people in the modern church who believe that. Uh, instead of praying to God and taking the medicine, you must pray to God and not take the medicine. And if they if they were in this story of Nehemiah, they would say, we're not going to use swords and shields and spill because those are worldly methods. We will just pray to God and he will protect us. Mm. Yeah. And that yeah. Is, a, is a very biblically inaccurate view because nobody <laughs> in the Bible ever does that. Well, it goes even deeper in this story of Nehemiah, and I love it. We don't have time to go back, but at the start of this, so Nehemiah is the one who is leading this effort to rebuild Jerusalem. At no point has God appeared to him or messaged him or has God spoken to him in the ways of the prophets. There has never been an instruction in the book of Nehemiah to Nehemiah saying, go thou and rebuild my city. The story begins with Nehemiah saying, I was serving the king and some people came and told me they, they brought to my attention the plight of Jerusalem, and it weighed heavily on my heart. And I prayed to God that he would bless me in my endeavor. And I went to the king and asked if he would let me go and rebuild the walls. It's, again, it's this really interesting thing. Is it God's plan or is it Nehemiah's plan? Is it actually sensible to quibble about that? <laughs> and, I, and it's oh. one of the aspects of this story that I love the most, because throughout the whole thing, Nehemiah shows simultaneously deep trust in God. It's it's riddled with prayer, this book. And Nehemiah at every step is is pointing out his trust in God, but it's also really consistently highlighting his agency, Nehemiah's agency, his his initiative, his um I guess willingness to to act to act responsibly to to me this is one of the great examples of god-fearing stewardship yeah um can i raise a specter from our past i know in previous episodes i don't know if it was this season or not we discussed what does it mean to leave something in god's hands and that (laughs) phrase that phrase is used by us to justify inactivity Oh, wow. Or to yeah. explain inactivity. The reason or, or, I am doing nothing. Or in decision, Or in decision. The reason I am doing nothing. Yeah. The reason I'm doing nothing is because I'm placing it in God's hands. Um, now, that, that, that is that more likely. Many terrible consequences. Well, well we, we spoke earlier, right at the start of this season, about. Um, that podcast you shared, Lockett, with the um, Islamic financial planner who who grew up in a home where everyone was trusting God, even though the the house was being taken by the bank, and at, mm. at every point they thought, "No, we're not going to do anything about this. We're just going to trust God." Mm. And uh, he was talking about how this sort of frame of mind can become difficult. The example to use within Adventism that shows. Um, that shows we don't really believe it. We don't really believe that we must do nothing. Um, the, the example 
to use is our health message. God wants us to be healthy. Um, <clears throat> you know, so your the example that's often used, and I, I know within conservative traditions within Adventism, there is a there's a um, there's a, a tendency to favour more sort of traditional herbal remedies than medicines. Um, but you know, you don't have to say I won't take this cancer treatment. I'll trust in God. You don't have to go to that extreme. You can just say I, I won't brush my teeth. I'll trust in God. Um, I won't ensure that I have a diet with healthy balance of greens. I'll trust in God. I won't ensure <laughs> that I get regular exercise. I'll trust in God. There's, <clears throat> when it comes to the tenets of basic health, we maintain very strongly that it's our duty to use our own agency uh, <laughs> to achieve God's purpose. That's a great observation. I've never thought of it in those terms, uh, thought of those different actions along the same axis before. You're right. They, they are. And and um, if you stood up in church and you said, you know what, we're near the end of times, and everyone would start nodding their head, and you would say, um, the times are short, and we need to start using our financial resources more aptly, and um, basically... Fresh food and veggies are so expensive. I think because time is short, we should all start eating KFC and trust God that he'll keep us healthy and devote those funds into other things. There, I can tell you to... that you've thought about actually doing this. No. <laughs> As in actually saying it in church. I don't know what the reaction of the of the congregation would be because it's it's sort of putting at odds two things we, we hold dearly. Um but but yet, uh, and I mean, you, th you, this is very clever of you, Cam. Uh, th this people do make the same argument with a straight face over, say, looking after the environment or caring yes. about social issues, yeah, um, or even you know, kind of directly caring for the poor. And that that verse about the poor always being with you is, is always brought up in that context. Uh, fundamentally, the same argument: we don't have to do anything. We don't have to be active because it's almost the end of times and God will take care of it. Yeah. Yeah. Even even elements of personal finances, right? So yes. um, that's that's there's even tendencies in this week's lesson study to, you know, at one point it, it sort of pulls out this uh, picture of the time of trouble and time sort of events. And it pulls out that verse in revelation that at the end of time, people can neither followers of God can't buy or sell um, because of the system that's been set up by the beast, the counterfeit system. Yeah. So true follow the remnant is excluded from commerce yeah. and the lesson what a sort relief. Of refers yes, to that. <laughs> <laughs> well, the lesson refers to that and, and makes, I don't think it makes it explicit, but to me, I felt the implication What's the point of saving up your financial wherewithal only mm. to be caught at the end of times with no, no ability to spend it um, on, on anything? The implication is, well, therefore, instead of saving it up, you should be spending it now while you can on, on God's mission um, in these last days. So I'm, I'm putting words in the lesson's mouth, but I am doing it in a way to identify the there is certainly the hint of that tendon, that Adventist tendency yeah. even coming out in this week's lesson. And the analogue of that attitude in the health message would be to say, think of the hours in the day it takes to cook healthy food when you can just yeah. order Uber Eats and get a $5 pizza from 
dominoes or whatever. <clears throat> and I think that it would be silly to promote that point of view um, because of this principle that you found in Nehemiah where uh, God doesn't keep our teeth clean, even mm. if you trust in him. And in point of fact, the health, the health, um, the health metaphor goes deeper than that because um, all you have to do is trust in God and he'll look after you. Well, if God's not looking after me, it must be because of my insufficient faith. My, my lack of faith. Oh. When we come back to that idea of faith. Yeah. Faith being some sort of currency that has to be spent on God's care. And if you don't have enough of it, your care, you know, you're on the lower uh, health well, insurance package. It's a logical yeah. equivalence. <laughs> If I, if I trust in God enough, he'll help me. So, for instance, it'd be interesting, Locke, to compare Nehemiah's experience with Daniel's because mm. Daniel was not saved from his tough time. He saw the destruction of Jerusalem. He wasn't there rebuilding it. Um, and for the rest of his life, he sat there praying at a window facing a ruin. Mm. Um, but he still found an expression in his life of... Agents, you know, his life was full of things that God did, but also full of things yeah. that he did with God. I think mm. that's a really interesting point, Cam, because you know what the difference between Nehemiah and Daniel was? The reason why one got to rebuild Jerusalem and the other had to watch it be destroyed. It wasn't Just because Nehemiah born. was more faithful than Daniel or yeah. a better servant. He was just born at a different time. Yeah. And it's, it's as true biblically as, as, as it is in the real world that one of the factors over which we as individuals certainly have no control um, and which God chooses not to exercise control over is the time in, into, in which we live. Yeah. And people who live in certain eras are, for lack of a better word, doomed to witness the trends, the, the broad trends and the big events of those eras. I think yeah. about this a lot because I do feel like we have been fated, for lack of a better word, by the timing of our birth, because we are all roughly the same age, to have grown up in an era of intellectual expansion, to have seen it come to an end, and to spend most of our adult lives watching it recede. To an mm. undetermined future. And the, the analogy of health is a good one here too, because there are principles of good health. And if you follow them statistically, you are more likely to be healthy. I speak... But only statistically. Only, yeah, only on broad average terms. The, you know, bad health comes to people... If you, if you happen to be obeying every dietary principle, but unfortunately live within a close radius of a nuclear power station when it malfunctions... Your diet is not going to help you live a healthy life. Well, yeah, and it's 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 not e it's not even that that's an extreme example to illustrate it. But people who don't smoke get lung cancer. People, people with who, very healthy diets yeah. get bowel cancer. And the true the same is true for this um, concept of stewardship. So the the if I conflate sort of all the ideas we've talked about, I know we're not at the last episode yet of the season, but there's. It, the picture is sort of coming into focus. We have uh, stewardship at times we have meant uh, to be a generous person. At times we have it to mean uh, being prudent and careful with our financial resources. Um, 
sometimes it means distributing the wealth we have wisely, and sometimes it means trusting God when we don't have the wealth. Um, but but just as it just as with health, um, there is an element of um, what's the word the vicissitudes of life. There's there's an element of of chance mm-hmm. in here, um, and yes. um, the, and the, the wider context and its impact on us. And when Christ looks at the people, is and he's saying there's there's a prophets not without honour except in his own country. Don't you remember that there was a famine and Elijah was there and there were lots of widows in Israel? But Elijah was sent to, you know, the widow of Zarephath. And the people he's talking to don't like being told that because they want the surety of thinking that if you do the right thing, if you're just part of God's family, then mm. he'll sort things out for you. Um and Christ mm. just uh, confronts them in two areas. One is uh, he looks after people who aren't even part of his official family um, or who don't know that they're part of his family. So, you know, um, and, you know, there were widows to whom Elijah wasn't sent. Mm. And I think, you know, the, the more I think about it, the more I think Daniel and Nehemiah are a really good pair to compare um, because you get a really good overview picture of kind of how it works. And I think it's as true today as it was in their times that both of them were, were, were people of, of, of integrity and courage and faith. And both of them, you know, uh, served God and, and, and God was, was with them and they did great things, but that neither of them had lives without hardships and, and both of them had ups and downs and triumphs and failures. Um, and none of that is inconsistent with the presence of God. Hmm. Well, um, and none of it has anything to do with... It's not a competition. None of it has anything to do with who had the most faith. Nehemiah was more faithful, so he got to be, rebuild the wall. Nothing to do with that whatsoever. David was, was, was a, a, a greater king and a better person than Solomon, but Solomon was the one who built the temple. Hmm. You know, yeah. it's 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 not. Um, it seems that God is content to let the events of history play out and work with people within that those contexts to to serve His will. Um, so you you then ask the question: Is God is God a hands off God or a hands on God? And the answer is both. Mm. Well, even our responsibility, as you say that, um, you're highlighting the impact of externalities. You're, you're saying there are things over which we have no control, mm. and I totally agree with you. But I also feel the Christian call to to be an agent of change. Well, no, so I, I agree with you. Uh, the the it's the same thing. It's it's not. Our, our strong psychological tendency to argue, is it this or that? And the answer kind of is, well, it's sort of both. What's the problem? Yeah, I, well, I think what I'm referring to, Locke, is, is it's about what's your expectations of the results, right? Mm. Are you willing and have you accepted the possibility that it may be your lot in life to fight a losing battle in a noble right. cause? Yes, right? yes, and yes. As far as God's concerned, 
you're doing his will just as much as someone who fights the same battle and wins because they had better external circumstances than you do. Right? I see. So it's 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 not about it's about focusing on what the right thing is to do rather mm. than the sort of outcome that you of obviously you try and achieve an outcome. Mm. But are you prepared mm. do, do you understand that even if you fail to achieve that outcome you still did the right thing? Yeah. There's there's um and and in that sense whether or not times times are tough or not your decision to try and live each moment in a way that really matters um will you're dealt a different hand but your broad strategy is the same mm. um the end goal that you're working towards you know if you're if you're playing 500 and you get a, a really good hand or a really bad hand you play it in different ways depending on the resources you have but your end goal is the same um uh, I read an interesting quote this week, and it was in a Philip Yancey book, and stop me if I've said this on the podcast before, but he was quoting someone else, and I can't remember who he was quoting. Uh, but this person had been on a spiritual retreat. Oh, hang on, stop. You've definitely said that before. You can't remember who you're quoting. <laughs> oh, good. Um, <laughs> no, keep going. <laughs> this, this person that Yancey quotes had been on a spiritual retreat and um, to a monastery, and a monk had shown... Uh, the person his cell where he was going to sleep and it was very very simple place and as the monk left he said um we hope you have a really blessed time here uh let me know if you need anything and i'll show you how to live without it (laughs) (laughs) so that's excellent there is there is the element and and this must be said in the context that every person who has lived um, including Christ, except maybe Enoch, but every person who has lived has gotten to a point where things didn't end well. Mm. You know, no one gets out of life alive. And we are, of course, the direct beneficiary of the death of everyone who came before us because there's not enough global resources to feed us all. So, um, <clears throat> and, yes, you and know, also the few- all of them did quite a lot of work building Everything what we enjoy we take for yeah, yeah. And, and benefit so, from in, in our comfortable yeah. lives today um so this this is um you know what i'm about to say is not only applicable in the context of certain victory there there is a sense in which we will all at some point face a hard time from which we will not recover um nonetheless you know our admonition is to look at what we have and um and say uh what's the most meaningful end to which these resources can be directed mm. and it may be true that there are some things we hold precious to us that we can live without yeah. that we, that we can... it's definitely true yeah and and there, there is then in times of hardship. Um, I'm, I said this to Mel. There was, um, and we've still got anyway. Our septic system's playing up um, at a time when I have just spent money on flying, um, and it's placed us under more financial stress um, than we're used to. But I said to Mel, 
the other day, my wife, I said, isn't it, it's actually in some ways a lot less stressful having no money because you just can't buy anything. So, you, you know, you don't say, should, should I do this or should I do that? Or, you know, how should these funds be? Well, yeah. there's no decision to be made. <laughs> we, you know, we're just... Um, so, it's actually really true. The The flip side of that is I, I have just sold a, a car and it wasn't a fancy car and it wasn't an amazing car, but it, it was still a, you know, whatever, about nine, $9,000 that came in a lump sum into my bank account. Yeah. And it's very difficult to fight the sense in my mind of, well, there's a couple of things I have been saving up for. Um, I've, I've got the cash sitting there now. Maybe this is the time I should, this yeah. is, this is the time I should be spending. Um, on those things that I've been thinking about for a while. And every I, every time I start thinking that way, I get into a little spiral of thinking, oh, but no, the that money's actually sitting in the bank account because it's paying off the the new car that's replaced the one I just sold. But then <laughs> it's it's a funny it's a funny sort yeah. of sort of situation to be in. It's like yeah, yeah. The the flip side of what you're saying. Yeah, it is it it would be simpler. You're right. It's it's less stressful in a sense. Now, um, having said that, there will might be people listening to this podcast for whom times are so tough that it is not simple. Um, yeah, and I guess then the challenge is, you know, how do we? Well, I I actually think there is there is an opportunity there for us to reflect. Um, Nehemiah clearly identifies the role of God as being enmeshed within the actions of people. And I sense a, a call there to action. There are people in the world in dire situations whose cry is to God to rescue them. Mm. Maybe, maybe my agency as, an, as a human can actually be the blessing of God to yeah. those people. And in other words, it's the, on the flip side, um, asking the question, is it, is it God helping them or is it me helping them? And, and that's, that's the, is it Matthew, mm. towards the end of Matthew, is it 24? The sheep and the goats. And they, they yeah. say, Lord, when did we see you naked and clothe you? And when did we see you hungry and feed you? Um, and and they're, they're sort of saying, well, we just thought we were doing something, but actually it turns out to be kind of bigger. I guess what you're saying, Locke, is that we all face circumstances that are outside of our control. But our choice on how we use our own resources is one of the circumstances that the rest of the world will have to live with that's outside of its yeah, control. Yeah. <laughs> um, so we are, we are part of that. You know, we, when we say there's circumstances outside our control, we usually mean it like impassionate, um, you know, disembodied forces of randomness and genuine chaos and they're outside our control there's nothing we can do about it but but for some people we are those yeah. forces outside their control <laughs> well i'm looking at the clock and i'm actually going to wrap it up here and the reason for all of you listening you're aware that cameron is normally the one taking the the intro and the outro but as we sat and, and briefly chatted before hitting record for this episode cam explained that with his with his cough and ailment and croaky voice, it was going to be better if 
if he minimized how much she'd spoken. Yeah. I, I suspect that the evidence, Cam, is that doing a podcast recording is therapeutic because if anything, as we've gone along, your voice has gotten better, but that won't last, um, I'm sure. So no. and, we'll, and we'll bring it to we another sign that we should go another hour. We can, <laughs> we can edit out the coughs, I think I've managed to. I think we, I think we will be able to. Look, I just, in closing, I want to return to what I thought was going to be an interesting landing point, but it's actually been it's been improved by your observation cam because what i was going to ponder was um how can we how uh, it seems that what we call to do is is essentially take the same attitude of responsible stewardship that we've been exploring this whole quarter even in times of trouble um and yet also keep our trust firmly placed in god and to the extent that that feels a bit like a attention uh, it was sort of going to be one musing how 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 can we ensure that we do keep our trust placed in God while we're also trying to you know reduce our expenditure so that we're not spending outside our, our limited income in a tough time or whatever it might be. And Cam, your observation is so. If I can summarize, Luke, your observation was that the the ancient culture from which Nehemiah is writing did not recognize a distinction between these two approaches. And we saw that on the page in Nehemiah. And then came your observation was that actually we're not so different in some aspects, particularly the, you know, brushing your teeth and, and healthy diet. And so I suppose what, what I'm excited by is the realization that it's not outside our grasp or our ability. It's actually something we already do in some spheres. So a little bit of um, recognition of that, a little bit of, of reflection on that might actually be a really helpful way to cultivate our thought processes in in the context, for example, of, of financial tough times and financial management. Mm. There may be no, di- no distinction whatsoever between taking some steps to be responsible in our, in our budgeting and planning um, and job seeking or whatever it might be. Um, and also keeping our trust placed in God. So I'm encouraged to hear that that possibility might already be quite strong in my own mind. I just need to reflect on it and access it a little bit. So I hope that you've all enjoyed this discussion. Um, I certainly have, and my brain will continue to tick over this for some time. Um, We will be back again next week, and we're getting close to the end of this season. And we've already mentioned, it seems to be getting better as we go along. So uh, we're we're accelerating towards what what's going to be quite a, a an interesting conclusion, and it's been an interesting topic to explore. So, if you want to share any comments on this topic or some of the preceding episodes, make sure you email us at sabbathschoolfromhome at gmail And whether you've emailed or not, feel free to join us for next week's episode where we'll have another discussion. <laughs>